to it as we can possibly get. This is the Kill by Kill podcast, where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. We're going to unpack all the gory details of Freddy's dead in the hopes that uh, a destitute child brought in by the police to some sort of industrial space, uh, that their death is just the beginning of the jokes that we can make at their expense, which makes me feel great about myself. And as always, there's only one person I trust that if I ask her to hand me the map, she will definitely just start unfolding it to the point in which an entire back of the van is consumed by paper. The one and and only Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing, Gina? Well, I gotta tell you, it's a it's a real come down from the the high, and I do mean high of talking <laughs> about Skate Town USA <laughs> to talking about Freddy's Dead, a movie in which we definitely know where it took place, when it took place, <laughs> how much cocaine it required for it to take place. Here, we're lost to the wind in a sea of decisions. This is this is a movie where a lot of people who were very well informed as to exactly what a Nightmare on Elm Street movie was decided to make all sorts of decisions. And then instead of taking one street or the other, they decided to take all of them all at the same time. Speaking of decisions, uh, this remains the only Nightmare on Elm Street movie that I ever actually saw in the theater. Mm-hmm. And as with some of the the movies we, we covered recently, I didn't remember a lot about them until I rewatched them. I'm like, oh, okay, it's all coming back to me now. But But I remember the theater I saw this at. I remember the people I saw it with. Uh-huh. I I must have been in the bathroom or or stuck in the line for the snack bar because none of this is is coming back to me. It's just like a blank screen. This is this might as well be the first time I've ever seen this movie. None of it makes sense. I don't remember any of it. I remember that you know wrote that they made a big deal about Roseanne and Tom Arnold being in. I didn't remember when they showed up and they were on screen about fifteen seconds. And then I remember there's something they had to do with a 3D scene that I don't remember anything about. This uh, movie is something or other. I, there are entire performances, actors that I had forgotten about. I didn't really remember the setup. The lead kid, no recollection of him. Nope. And nope. this hair that is sprouting almost as if it is racing away from his brain um, out of his skull. Uh, but we will get to that. But I, I don't I don't want to alarm you, Gina. We are not alone. That's right. We have a special guest. She is a returning champion, an actor, burlesque performer, and horror bomb vivant of the Los Angeles area. The one and the only Alyssa Wagner. How are you doing? Hello. Okay. So I have been waiting for this day. And I might be, <laughs> I might be one of like 12 people on this earth who is excited to talk about it as I am. But I have 
thoughts and I can't wait to hear yours. Oh, that, <laughs> that's, that's what we need. Uh, we need, we, uh, I think I drafted a few people and, and we're not going to over elaborate this particular movie. We're going to get through it in tow because I think if to, to over examine it might be to do it and us a great disservice. But what it can be said is this is a film that is professionally made. It is yes. well photographed. People have designed sets and they have found locations. <laughs> Sound was recorded. Uh, there are professional makeup artists involved. They, they, and, got, uh, they got Iggy Pop to do the, uh, the end theme song, apparently. <laughs> Which I've not dolls. gotten to yet because I I only I stopped about the halfway point. Oh gosh, <laughs> um, that that's quite a turnaround from the onslaught of goo goo dolls that we get. It's yeah, it's like that they did this to market themselves for some reason. I don't. Know. It, there's just so much goo goo dolls. I don't get it. <laughs> oh my god, the the sheer amount of goo and goo and goo dolls. And- <laughs> oh my god uh, my my apologies to the replacements who must have felt that they were cheated somehow out of <laughs> their opportunity to get involved in freddy's dead they're like no 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 no, we'll get the goo goo dolls they're like <laughs> a third of the cost and they haven't done that song for the the remake of city of angels yet so they'll oh be super gosh. cheap <laughs> this was it was all meant to be it was all meant to fall in place that way <laughs> the opening of this film is a return to form as it were uh, because we get not one, but two quotes. It has the audacity to open with a Nietzsche quote. Which, <laughs> seriously. Followed by uh, the um, welcome to primetime, bitch. <laughs> Very yes. properly. Yeah, I don't know. what that, That's just starting me off. That's just starting me off on a really angry foot right there. <laughs> I mean, th- that is a fine line in the context of the movie in which it is delivered. And we can on we can all agree it is very I- iconic to Freddy Krueger. But to pair it with this Nietzsche quote is <laughs> pure insanity and creates a sandwich of stupidity I'm not entirely sure the film recovers from. And yet, Goo Goo Doll on it does. Because from the slapdashery of the Freddy's Dead logo, because it's no longer a nightmare on Elm Street. Now, they're telling you right up front, the point of this movie is to kill off this motherfucker. Please come and watch this movie. It is no longer the 80s. It's the 90s. It's time to kill off Freddy Krueger. And what better way to do it than to retcon the entire origin of this franchise. Oh my God. Like you do in franchises. It seems For to be. no apparent reason. Other, <laughs> other than, I guess it was mentioned in the TV show. I, I asked Nat Bremer, who's the most knowledgeable sort of uh, person when it comes to horror trivia that I really know. And I don't know know him i internet know him like everyone i interact with on the internet but uh i asked him like was this like the first time they were up front said this is ohio and the consensus was that it had popped up on freddy's nightmares and they doubled down on it here well well here's the thing it is ohio it's for no discernible reason 10 years into the future so it's actually <laughs> 2001 i guess yeah it's the new millennium with this little you know dot matrix you know print out of a map oh, it yeah. says all the children have disappeared the parents the adults are suffering from a mass psychosis yeah and it's okay so 
this is just a thing that's happened. These parents, these people just left to live in this town, talking to themselves and holding <laughs> carnivals crazy. and all. The beginning it, it, just, oh, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say that the font and the typing and all that, it gave me Escape from New York vibes. That is exactly what I wrote down. <laughs> I said, so now we get some Escape from New York clown computer yes. graphics. I think the president has been kidnapped. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I think that they're trying to excite you and thinking that Kurt Russell's going to show up. But <laughs> oh, man, if only. Oh, my God. If this movie had Kurt Russell in it? I, it would be the best nightmare in Elm prob- Street movie. It would probably be the best franchise because of it of all yes. time. So yeah, it, it's Escape from New York. But Freddie, this is what I, I, I don't quite get here, okay? Freddie has- This is what you don't get? This is this, what I This is right Everything here else, what you don't get. Everything else makes perfect sense. <laughs> Everything else very explained. I, I can't wait till you, till you explain to me everything else that happens in this movie. <laughs> so- Freddie has continued to kill children to the point in which there are uno children left. Well, well, here's the thing: not you know, it's not that that Freddie has continued to kill children; it's that people continue to let their children live on Elm Street. <laughs> which but it's I, a I townwide think my, I think, problem. I, I think by part four, that kind of you know really pushed the 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 you know suspension of disbelief for me in that you know repeatedly children are getting murdered in this town and people are still moving their kids onto the street <laughs> hey, you know, i, I mean you know you, you've got a small child I, I think that if you and your wife bought a house and you were reading you all of a sudden you know you found out that you know a lot of kids were murdered on that street you'd be like yeah you know what honey yeah let's see if we can get out of that contract maybe uh, elm street was kind of like the los angeles of the time and how no matter how bad it got people just kept on coming yeah like in this economy i'm gonna move because 20 plus child murders i mean yeah. well, let's just keep them on a short leash i mean they don't have to worry about overcrowding the schools we will learn later the education here is top notch <laughs> It cannot. It cannot be disputed. Oh goodness! I mean, I mean, you're just starting from like from like Jump Street with a, a concept that just makes absolutely no sense, and then it somehow manages to make less sense from there. I just don't understand how his power has grown to the point where the entire town is now crazy. Because is he control? Not- is he controlling them? Because That's what I'm wondering. Yeah, I mean, he can he can control time and space. He creates a he seals people in to Springwood, Ohio, which is something he has not shown an uh, an ability to do before. It could be the whole uh, dream demon principle that apparently <laughs> is a thing. But but yeah, but yeah, in this in this opening dream, he you give the impression that he can't get out because he. When, when, what is the, his name is literally John Doe, isn't it? The, the, yeah. the, the that's how it's, oh, I don't give him a name. The, the protagonist, he goes flying through a wall and leaves, you know, a Looney Tune shaped outline of himself. <laughs> and Freddie, like, looks out, like, oh, hey, there's the real world. And then he, like, you know, he puts his hand and then the light closes up. So can he or can he not enter non dream space? But is everyone in a walking dream then? I mean, I that's it, it, are, is it because of their psychosis? They're constantly, how did the, we've, we've ranted and raved. How come no fucking adults get that there's a crazy 
dream demon sacrificing their children. And now all the adults know. And that instantly cracks their brain to the point where they show up to the local fair with two deflated balloons. It's not even that they're, it's not even that they're crazy. It's that they all become like David Lynch and John Waters characters. Yes. They're all very grotesque. You've got the, you know, the creepy, you kind of old lady with the, you know, walking around the house coat. It actually reminds me a lot of the video for Black Hole Sun. It's kind of like you know, maniacally grinning yes. and, and doing stuff that doesn't make any sense. And there's like a close up of food. And there's roaches crawling all over. And I'm like, what and is I, this? I what think, even is this? I think that was actually the intention because uh, I know they were they were trying to go for a more comedic feel because Twin Peaks had just gone out, as I learned from Never Sleep Again, the best uh-huh. documentary. Everything I know is from there. I'm not like some cool wizard who knows this stuff. But oh, no, 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 no. It's, I it from reliable sources, you're oh, a cool it's wizard. Great. Well, I and I learned everything from there. It's awesome. And I know they were trying to set out to make a more kind of cartoon tone because Twin Peaks was so popular and they were trying to go for that David Lynch sort of feel. And I just, I, I don't think it translated like they thought. No, it. and it doesn't, it doesn't work for, for the, this, the kind of series it is. I mean, no. when you've got fucking Tom Arnold and Roseanne Barr coming out, it's like, Lord Jesus, save me. Oh, <laughs> Just man. save me from the nineties. I mean, I, I never thought I would see Roseanne and Freddy Krueger in the same movie, but here we are. Oh my God. Well, I, the, this is an important point that I think should be underlined. This is a very, 90s movie oh god yes god yes as a result it is out of time and out of step with the franchise that bore it out to this point so now they're like this can't sustain itself so they set out to make this john waters version of nightmare on elm street that's fine whether or not you stick that landing at least you started out with this is our goal And then you write a script that is basically redoing Dream Warriors, but don't stick these very disturbed kids who have very real problems into this. And an extremely ineffectual therapist. Oh, (laughs) she's terrible. Get me started on them. The adults are just woo. When we get there, we will get there. Worse than usual for for a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Too much. I, it just, if you're going to do that, my suggestion is to still have the rando bubbly teens who stumble upon this mystery and die one at a time because they're unable to handle it. But here you have the dream warriors scenario where they're deeply troubled and have very real problems that might disconnect them from adults and pair them with adults who are either ineffectual from the real world or out of their goddamn gourd once you hit Springwood, Ohio. And it just, it doesn't jibe. I don't want to worry about Carlos's, what sounds like a terrible childhood upbringing. You know, you have, you have real, like, this isn't fakey haha to me. There's a difference between Twin Peaks where you have melodramatic, Oh, my parents don't listen to me. Oh, by the way, they're part of a Black Lodge cult, which, you know, may be associated with the devil or an alternate dimension. Like, you you get there. You don't just, like, walk from episode one in Twin Peaks to season two. 
you get there over time. This seems to believe that you can just hop like rock to rock between John Waters and between Twin Peaks and between Dream Warriors. And it it just, it's not very effective. And I think it's not due to lack of talent desire or understanding of thematic possibilities. Yeah, I think it's purely a tone thing. But even that being said, I think it's light years better than Dream Child because at least it is aware of its tone in that. (laughs) I am in agreement. I think Gina might be rolling against us on this. Well, not entirely because at least... I don't think this one has a an extremely strong pro-life message. Yeah, <laughs> which, that's true. Which, uh, you know, okay, you know, points for that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> if you set the bar any lower, you would have to step over graves in order to just clear it. But, all right, let's get back <laughs> into this movie because we've started on this movie is full of references because it's the nineties and now we're referencing things. So we started with terror at 10,000 feet episode of twilight zone. (laughs) And everyone said, but wait a second. What if it was in color and very moist and like, ah, I got it. I got it. Everyone's grotesque. They're out of, they're out of a music video. Everyone's wearing bad greens. And then he's like, oh, I'm trapped on this airplane. And then he's he crashes out of the airplane and then he's in a house and then the house is falling. These aren't bad ideas and they're not terribly executed in terms of special effects. No, he falls when he falls out of the plane. It's pretty good. It's, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. And on top of that, you have Brian fucking May, who's. I will say that he is a professional musician and he has decided instead of just a keyboard cat plunking on a Casio, perhaps I should show up to this motion picture with a full orchestra. And 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 lo and and behold. And perform a variation on Night on Bald Mountain. (laughs) Yeah. That's not the part that doesn't work. That's, That's the part that works. I actually thought for a fraction of a second when I first saw this, they were talking about Queen Brian May. And when I saw that, I got very confused. Is it not Queen no. Brian May? Well, I looked it up because I, I, I had to do a double take because Queen's my favorite band of all time. And I thought that can't be right. And I looked it up and it was a completely different person. <laughs> Unless Google is deceiving me. But I feel like I, I would have known that as a fan of this movie and Queen growing up. Management for Queen. I know you're listening to this. We're in the top 25 of movie histories. We're huge. We're in the we're in the top 25 in, in the UK. So hey, Brian May's management, get back to us. Tell us what's Please, really happening. I need here. to know because this is gonna be like a Santa Claus learning thing all over again if I find out that he worked on this movie. <laughs> I I don't know what I'm gonna do. Whoever this Brian May feller is, whether or not he has a mountain of hair that looks like a fake wig, I hope um, so. the f- movie references don't stop because after the Wizard of Oz. Oh god. <laughs> I mean, like Again, right out the bat, right out the door, it's it's just kind of like you either get people laugh at that, or you get people just say "fuck you" and walk away. Yeah, it's just very, it's very slapsticky. Freddie wears a bunch of funny costumes. He he wears a bus driver costume for some reason. 
his second time playing a bus driver. Uh, apparently that's a go-to for him. I, he just enjoys buses. He wants to replace the pigeon. I don't know. He likes how the wheels go round and round. Maybe that helped him recruit uh, 20 plus child victims once upon a time. I don't know. Uh, so after that <laughs> incident is what I'm going to call it. Uh, then we get John Doe rolling down this hill for what feels like a very long time. <laughs> and like the only thing missing is a princess brightish as you <laughs> will. You turn it up loud enough. You will hear that in the distance. <laughs> Uh, and then when he gets to the bottom, he's greeted by returning Nightmare on Elm Street franchise uh, all-star Robert Shea, uh, who's insistent to be insistence to be in every single one of this these movies is confounding to me. He never looks good. He never adds anything to it, and he's like the anti-Stan Lee. <laughs> <laughs> Like every time you see Stanley, you're like, oh, they put Stanley in one of those things. And every time Robert Shea shows up, you're like, oh, fuck, again? It's, just, it's uncomfortable. <laughs> it is. It's uncomfortable. And it doesn't look comfortable for him. He doesn't come off well. So why did he feel he needed to do this? I mean, why can't he just stick with like, you know, having a hospital scene, Dr. Shea, floor one? Yeah. <laughs> He's already the voice of the fucking pilot in the airplane. Oh, really? Yes. Man, that is some oh, fucking ego. I'll tell you. So he, his him, voice man. is heard, and then he shows up in fucking on screen. Oh, I, I love I love the voiceover as the pilot. He's like, uh, 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 we can't go over the, the turbulence. We can't go under either, so we're just going to fly through it. <laughs> <laughs> that's not how turbulence works. That, that's not how airplanes work. That's not how anything works. Um. <laughs> Oh my god, this movie is so wet and green. It's only been what five minutes? <laughs> it feels what? like forever. And half of that is spent watching a guy tumble down a hill. <laughs> you know, the thing we all have nightmares about. And then the other half is just people walking around. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of walking. So Freddie hits him with a bus. A a ghost bus or something. A, a dream ghost bus. And then launches him through a Reality? wall. Like I said, like 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 Daffy Duck. No, that and we're like, oh, like yeah. Wiley Coyote chasing chasing the Roadrunner. Yes. And and you know, he our main character endures a massive head injury <laughs> that he just wakes up from the next day. He's fine. <laughs> His head hits a rock. Which I there's I, blood splattered on it when he wakes up in the morning. But there's blood splattered on it on the upside of the rock, and his head injury is on the bottom half of the rock. So how did the blood splatter from the left, the, the injury on his left eyebrow, get blood on the right side of the rock? Luck, luckily, that's that is the only grossly inconsistent moment in this that happens in this movie. Oh wait, no, there's an even more egregious one later on. <laughs> This movie does not understand the sides of people's faces, which I think is something you need to know. Um, but again, listen, any movie could have made those mistakes, right? It's not 
incompetently directed. You can't say like, well, this person doesn't know composition. This person doesn't know how to make an effective special effect sequence. But whose responsibility is it for, for continuity though? Because like I guess uh, the, the the there is a a and Patrick, you and I briefly talked about this on on chat. There is a hugely a huge continuity error later on in the movie that I cannot believe that nobody in in post caught. Yeah, it, it's unbelievable. Oh, that being said, it's not like it's a giant come down from the visual wow of three or four or five. Well, that's, I mean, yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, it's not, these weren't, these early, these previous movies weren't these like masterpieces. And then this one was just down here. I, I don't think, I, maybe maybe it's not that I, I dislike this. I'm just utterly baffled by it. I just think it's so weird. I think, and I don't know if I have a different opinion or if you grew up with this movie, if you think differently about it, but I know because I I grew up watching this. I just thought it was the coolest movie as a kid. And I, it appealed to me because I thought it was funny, but at the same time, I didn't get any of it and it scared me. And so I kind of see that and I don't see the continuity errors or the, just anything like that. But I wonder what it's like if you see this as an adult for the first time or that you remember. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I was, this was 91, so I would have been when this this movie came out. Um, And I I don't remember it. I I just remember nothing about it except the fact that I did see it. But everything in this feels like very new and weird. And and how do I not remember any of this? It's also just so separate from any, because yeah, it was retcon because all the characters are different. There's no mention of Nancy, none of that. So it's just so kind of dislocated from the rest of the series. So it's kind of easy to forget, I think. Because it's inessential, I think Mm -hmm. is what it comes down to. Like, None of this feels like it matters. It's yeah. not to say that there aren't good things about it. I, I think there are good things. Well, about I, it. I like the concept of, you know, all of the children disappearing from a town and then the, the adults, whether before or after suffering some sort of mass psychosis. Now, granted, a little close to it, that yeah. that kind of yes. concept, it, it's kind of bordering on being kind of close to it. But I do like that concept, and and I feel like the screenwriters came up with that idea first before deciding to turn it into a Freddy movie, where they they had this idea. They for whatever reason they couldn't develop it, or or they couldn't get you know studio backing to develop it. And the only way they could have will figure out some way to weave Freddy into this. Well, there was actually um, an original script before this written by Peter Jackson. Really? Uh, yes. And it was called Dream Lover. And it was basically about Freddie was kind of like washed up from his from his tour of killing kids. And um, <laughs> and so then the kids are kind of just like, you suck. And they kind of make fun of him by taking um, sleeping pills or getting, you know, putting under just so that they could go in their dreams and beat him up. And then I guess one day he musters up the courage to kill one of the kids. Sure. And it's, <laughs> an, an, an inspiring story of a man who learned to kill again. <laughs> it actually sounded kind of cool, but it's just, it's fascinating I, to me. I, I kind of see why that didn't get made though. <laughs> but it was Peter Jackson. <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, talk about a person who can ride the line of tone particularly at the time 
So if he had turned in a, a Nightmare on Elm Street that was on the same level of a Frighteners, mm. I could see that, you know, there are plenty of people who would wander straight into Frighteners and go, how the fuck does this work? Like, mm. who are these people? Is am, is this scary? Is it funny? Am I supposed to take this seriously? Am I supposed to laugh at it? And, and the answer to all those things is yes. Mm. <laughs> and it works for him. And I don't know that this rides that same very difficult to find tone of both scary and real and funny. So I, as much as I love the idea of groups of teens taking drugs so they can beat up Freddy Krueger <laughs> and him like some sort of Rocky four training back up to kill again. <laughs> like, okay. I don't even know what kind of movie that would ever be. I just want to see it. I just, yes. I think that would be incredible. Kurt Russell, <laughs> Kurt Russell will be in that one. Kurt. <laughs> he will be uh, make that happen, everyone. <laughs> so let's get back into the movie that did happen. Let's, let's talk about one development that I'm very happy about. And that is that Feel Good Freddy is back. <laughs> he's, he's ready to help you be you. And he's moist again, everyone. <laughs> slightly, ever so slightly, but definitely more than the last one. He, Way he, damper he's than the last time. He's found a good lotion. I am very sorry. My dogs decided they saw me recording and they decided to bark just as they saw me. <laughs> they have things to say, I too. I, I, I did force them to watch this a couple times. So <laughs> I'm very sorry. This is what I get. They have opinions they do. like we all do. So we then get slammed into the real world uh, where we uh, go to this institute for children who don't adult good and want to do other things good. And we meet Brecken Meyer. Oh. I think pre nose job looks like pre nose job. Brecken Meyer. Is he like he, about twelve here? He may be pre nose job, but he is pro a lot of weird stuff going on with his hair. He, he's <laughs> pro ponytail. He's pro ponytail, but like with a normal kind of cut in front. It's yeah. I don't know what it is. Yeah, he is a uh, family ties in front and. Um, I don't know what the fucking back. This is a wildly hairstyled movie. Oh my gosh. The 90s just didn't know what it wanted to be. I always think about that SNL sketch, which Tina Fey referred to someone's hair as just knowing where it wants to go. <laughs> this is anti that. No one's hair knows where it wants to go. And they're like, is this good enough? They're like, well, I'm not about to put a comb through it. Let's start running the camera. Do you <laughs> want to wear the grossest kind of green that you have? Great. I feel like the beginning of the 90s was just a very strange time where no one knew who they were anymore. They didn't know if the styles were supposed to change or not. So that's yeah. accurate. The kind of <laughs> splattered a canvas and ran with it. If, if we had not found flannel, where would we have gone? Oh, gosh. Because this is a terribly flannel-less movie. It is odd to me that this movie arrived mere weeks before Nirvana's Nevermind album dropped. Oh, wow. And the world literally changed from that moment on. <laughs> this is a time capsule of a pre-grunge 90s. 
that seems to think that delight is the next big thing. And then it turned out that was not the case. And yet, don't forget, it's supposed to be 2001. (laughs) For some reason. But this is the future. People are on dial-up internet in this movie, supposedly. Oh, my goodness. I also really think that Breckenmeyer's wardrobe was supplied by uh, Mark's kind of denied wardrobe in Dream Child. He looks like he's wearing something that was supposed to be in that movie. But they were just like, no, nah, we don't have enough scenes. <laughs> but this shirt looks like it was purchased in a store. Like someone went to Nordstrom's well, yeah. rack and like said, that's a shirt. That's, at least there's that. <laughs> but, whatever the fuck they're wearing in Dream Child is just bonkers to the point of insanity. So we meet various uh, people at this youth shelter. The, and the, they, the, the most incompetently run youth shelter you've ever seen in your entire life. Now, I, I don't have much experience with youth shelters, but I think that if you, if, if a, one of its, uh, its tenants, what would you, what would you call a person who, one of its youths it's gets caught, of the state gets caught making a pipe bomb. Yes. You're, you're, this you're is, gonna this be, is not you're the gonna, first time. You're going to address it with a little more than that. What are you going to do? <laughs> I also feel like they only have three people working there. And one doesn't even really do anything. <laughs> no, he's he's kind of like, oh, I'm running the front desk and answering phones. And then I find a pipe bomb. And I'm like, ah, this is a trifle and inconvenience. <laughs> um, Brecken Meyer's dad says... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> more bad L Street parents. That's a, that is like the, yeah. the most that that is the, uh, the 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 one common thread that all these movies share. Yes, parents are terrible. Uh, this is uh, thanks a lot for fixing my kid. To which Lisa Zane responds, "He's not a Toyota," and I generally liked that line. <laughs> that is a pretty good line. It's a great line. It works again. This is not like a complete failure. It's not like so dumb that you can't believe it ever existed it's just a hodgepodge of ideas that might have worked but all uh, sewn together in a crazy quilt i also have a problem with lisa zane uh her character now okay i i understand that she does have a brother named billy who is the most charismatic human on the planet <laughs> Yeah, I don't see that in her as much. No. I, okay, good. I didn't know if it was just me or not, but it looks like she got thrown on the, like literally thrown on set, and they're like, "Okay, record," and she's just standing there, not knowing what to do throughout the. She entire looks vaguely film. annoyed most of the time, yes, like she, like like she is fulfilling a, a contractual obligation for something. And I feel like she has two emotions, and that's just kind of blank, and then sort of kind of like my eyes are a little bit wider, but I'm still blank. And those are all that I see out of her. Her face wants to slam evil, (laughs) but uh, her performance doesn't. And I wish at some point she started slamming evil like her brother. Uh, She just, it's a weird thing when you've got a celebrity sibling, like maybe you shouldn't be judged against them and their ability to act. But I I can judge her solely based on this film and it's not great. It's not great, Bob. Did not showcase her very well. No, this is not the the platform for her. And I'm not entirely sure what that platform would be, but it's not authority figure. 
I, no one's really doing a great job of that, with the exception of Yafit motherfucking Kodo. Yeah. Who, what is he even doing in this movie? I, I don't know. He had gambling debts. I don't know. But you know what? He needs to work. He needs to put food on the table. He needs a wig that does not fit his head very well. <laughs> I was going to say, he, he needs to make payments on that uh, Mari's Hair Club for Men bill. <laughs> oh, man. It, like, he's a, he's a very... Uh, cinematic presence. You don't need to have hair. It's fine. You could have shown up to this completely bald. No one would have ever thought the least about it. They would have just been so happy that Yafet Koto wandered into this movie set and decided not to walk away. But there he is with this wiggy wig that looks like a cat sitting on your head trying to wake you up in the morning. (laughs) And he introduces us to something that we have rarely seen on this program. And that is saying something. And that is Chekhov's wall calendar. He has a poster from a museum about dream demons. And there's like, you know what we need to do with these kids is we need to get them to talk about their dreams. And you're like, we did this movie already. It was called Dream Warriors. Why are we doing it again, but not as good? It's probably. You're setting yourself up for failure. It doesn't help. It's because of Craig Watson. Because they needed another <laughs> therapist. Do you know redo- what would have made Dream Warriors a way better fucking movie? <laughs> Yafit <laughs> fucking Kodo. If he had shown up, that'd be a real different story, everyone. I agree. I agree. And also I'm, so I'm watching it as we're speaking and I noticed in this scene in particular where you're introduced to him uh, in his office, I am no doctor. I've never been a psychologist, but I would like to think that my office would be just slightly more organized with a lamp in there. If you look, there are no lights in this institution, not one lamp, except maybe in that first scene with Breck and Meyer. And he looks like he's in a Victorian abandoned haunted escape room. Yes. It's his office. In the, I mean, <laughs> this place is littered with the craziest fucking shit. Like there, there are baseball gloves just nailed to the wall. At one point, someone passes a pair of skis just leaned up against a cabinet. Why do they need skis? It looks very dusty. I would have a Ugh. problem in there. This entire place is riddled with filth and moist. And Yafa Koto has like a, a, a hookah. He has a fucking hookah in his office. <laughs> That's, That's part of I think maybe he lives there. Uh, you, he it, might. I would not doubt it. If you really look around, it's everything he would ever need in a day. I don't think he leaves that room until this movie. But... <laughs> I, if he, what, Gina, please remind, I'm now making a reference joke for a reference that I can't remember the, oh, um, uh, damn it. It was the slasher movie with, uh, uh, Palance where, where he goes. Oh, Alone in the Dark. Alone in the Dark. Uh, <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Doctor. <laughs> um. Donald Pleasant's then movie has the craziest fucking office. And I wonder if this is some sort of reference to it because in there, Donald Pleasant's like opens up a box and takes out a pipe. He's like, Hey, you want to get high and just start stuffing marijuana into it? And you're like, 
you run a mental institution. What are you doing? <laughs> and this is movies like, ah, maybe, maybe Hamilton will get this reference. <laughs> I, do, I, I wouldn't uh, expect them to throw in, in uh, Alone in the Dark. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) It would be great if Freddie at some point lost, saw someone wearing a hat and then decided, I've got to get that hat. (laughs) And it just became a scene about you killing somebody with a hat you want to wear. All the references. All the references. Yes. One of these days, Alone in the Dark will (laughs) make its way into uh, a method that we can all watch it for, you know, more than 28 days. Lisa Zane has a theory. And that is, I got to get this kid who doesn't know anything about himself to go back to this town he swears he should never go back to. And I don't think that's an effective way to help someone jog their memory. That's, he has serious psychological problems that may have been brought about by severe head injury. Perhaps dragging him back to this town that he just escaped is not helpful. None of these people know how, how therapy works. It's not. It's not even this movie. It's also in, in Dream Warriors. None of these people know how therapy works. I don't yeah. think they actually went to medical school. <laughs> I think that they probably got a certificate online because they do not look like they have practiced their craft. Yeah. It, was this entire movie meant to be in three D? Because people keep sticking things out towards the camera like no. crazy. It they was, stick French fries files. Uh, the, the the all the furniture are farther into frame than people. And I'm thinking, why didn't they just make the whole goddamn thing in 3D? You would think. But I think that the 3D was supposed to sort of signify the uh, dream world or something. It's, you know, the those special glasses that Doc knows about that you'll get to later. Yeah. <laughs> It just, it's weird that they filmed it all with the idea that every frame was going to have depth. It it makes me think that they started filming it with like in 3D or uh, it's just weird. Why didn't they make it all 3D? I feel like that would make more sense and help kind of justify the weird kooky vibe of it a little bit more. Here's something we also learned. Ghost girls in this franchise don't snitch. Don't ask them for information. They'll never tell you the right stuff. <laughs> Fucking ghost girls are useless in this. I, I There's one thing I want to see ghost girls in this franchise do. Jump, rope, and rhyme. That's it. Just like my rap stars. I just want to hear rhymes and jump roping. <laughs> and little curly pigtails. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, yeah, that's what hip hop's all about. Uh, <laughs> this is part of the five tenets of hip hop. Graffiti, dancing. <laughs> Pigtails, you know, jump no roping. The nineties, man. The nineties, rhyming, stealing. <laughs> um, during this, we get yet an, another sort of three D moment where uh, I guess Lisa Zane's mom pops out of a newspaper article, and then she has this very point of view dream in which she wanders about a garden and evil dead vision with just a camera on two two by fours and we get the softest freddy voice ever like if i don't want to hear freddy be comforting it, no it's it's no. really awkward it is not a no. pleasant sight it doesn't or sound. work for me but so john doe begins to have a nightmare 
And then we get another Dream Warriors revisit where Freddy is able now. Now, this is completely outside of Springwood. So his magical powers now travel with people where we see John Doe walk up invisible stairs. How does fucking Freddy work? Right, and again, I mean, it's 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 implied that he cannot enter the real world. So how is he doing this? Yeah, I I don't. That's the thing. Like in Dream Warriors, he makes someone you know walk through a door. In 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 Freddy's Revenge, he makes people fall into hell pits. I I get that he's magic. I just wish it would define the fucking magic for me. If he can make people levitate, I mean, in the first one, he makes Tina levitate because he kills her and drags her up a wall and onto the ceiling. So we've seen him defy gravity, but there seemed to be a definite limit to that. And now he can control entire towns. He's in, he's like the fucking beyonder from Marvel comics. It's crazy. I mean, is it just all of the kids that he consumed? I don't what it depends what sequel you're going by and how he died because they all have different I can't think of the word right now because I just don't want to put that much thought into thinking <laughs> theory back theory of, of this but <laughs> um I, I I don't I mean that I think the problem comes down to the same problem we've had ever since we started this we don't know how Freddy works and no one who wrote Freddy understands how Freddy works and so however Freddy works for you is how Freddy works this time and so this is what happens and John Doe has this nightmare and then he gets scared and it turns out that his ass is so dummy thick that he just pushes a security guard out through a window <laughs> yes yeah, like, and, and, and he security guard just gets up out of a falling out of he's, a plate glass window gets up he's like asshole that's it and he just walks away he's he like, walking through a window like, be careful like, next time yeah. <laughs> i mean fucking talk about white privilege oh, oh this kid pushed you through a window and you're like oh don't do it again what is it with this place people are building bombs and they're like ah kids well here we're jumping ahead a little bit but so uh these other three kids breckenmeyer and blonde girl and carlos they hide out in a van lisa zane's character finds them it's like well just just drive the van back okay send send these send these three mentally disturbed teenagers get give them the keys to the van and you're just going to trust them to drive back to the shelter they stay at i understood that i never uh, yeah, like, do they even have their driver's license? Like, because I reckon Meyer looks like he's about 13. I think they're supposed yeah. to be like 17 or so around there, but either way. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't trust them to push a grocery cart. Nevertheless, drive a van back to the place they just escaped from in that I van. Mean, they could technically live in that van because it kind of looks like a squatter's van. Like, I don't yes. know. It's It does not look like it belongs to any sort of institution. Yeah, it's supposed to, it's supposed to be like the, the van for the shelter. And it's all spray painted. It's, I know, it's, it's like all it, indented. It, it, it looks like a child molester van. And they're they like, yeah, we're going to take the van. <laughs> they covered all the windows. They have a separating sheet with like a little like peep square cut out of it. <laughs> 
It's not very. Uh, it's like what professional world does this movie exists in. Nothing is right. Uh, you can't tell. And maybe all right. Maybe maybe this was deliberate. You can't tell what is the real world and what is this sort of under the dome esque town where you you enter it and then you can't leave or what's in dream space. It, it, yeah. it it's so there's so much overlapping and and it's you know i i i don't find it disorienting just much as perplexing yeah we'll go with that <laughs> yeah perplexing <laughs> I, I, this, I i don't think this is a this is a bad movie necessarily it's perplexing exactly it's it's, it's confused and because of its confusion it leaves us confused it's not incompetent i think there's a genuine difference between those things like in dream child is to a degree incompetent. It literally is repeating so many of the things that had worked in three and four that it just is on autopilot and it just makes the craziest fucking decisions you've ever seen in your life. And people act in a completely different manner than they had acted just one movie before or in one movie before that. And in the middle of it, it has an insane anti-choice message that it insists is pro-choice. It's so, it's, it's incompetent. And this is just confused. Was this one rushed like part five was? Cause I no. don't, See, no, that's... because that happened in 89. This is 91. So there's ah, like a full, right. they had, they've had development here. Mm. So they know what they're doing. They had decided this is not, this can't continue on forever. Let's just try to go out in as grand a manner as possible and construct a film that is worthy of the end of this franchise. And this is what they came up with. <sighs> so, Let's get to the meat of this because we could talk about spin outs over ghost girls or what kind of pants people are wearing, but you know they're fucking insane. It's a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Nobody is clothed in people clothes. <laughs> in just, Brecken Meyer is wearing some sort of gaucho shirt with a vest over it. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> I, 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 what the fuck? Like Everyone I, is dressed like like the theme was rust. It is very green and it's very, I think that, I really do think that his wardrobe was inspired by Mark though. Like that's not even a joke. I think that they tried to take a Mark and they somebody down the line thought, oh, I like that. They're similar. Let's do that. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's, let's have that happen. Sure. Why not? But that's before they arrive at the Springwood town fair mm. and this is where things really go off the rails because we can talk about how this movie was inspired by various movements of the early 90s and late 80s but when you have fucking roseanne Barr show up in the oddest of pale pink housecoats and just shove her face into the camera like what were what what were they attempting to elicit here? I think that's probably the most uncomfortable part of the whole movie. Is it is because <laughs> what are they doing it's, there? It's it's it just it's it's I'm not a fan of stunt casting. Yeah. Of, of you know just a a random celebrity you know, unless they're playing themselves. 
you know, then that that's that's kind of funny. But, you know, if you have a random celebrity just just playing this character is on screen for like about 20 seconds, I, I don't like that. It, it really just takes me out of the whole the whole movie. And that's purely what it was, so that people would just go, oh, it's Roseanne and Tom Arnold. I relate. It's, it's America's Sweethearts, Roseanne and Tom Arnold. <laughs> <It's>, yeah, <exactly. laughs> but it's funny because they even make a Twin Peaks reference in this scene. So they're clearly going for that. And maybe they thought in a weird world, Roseanne could be kind of in that world of quirky. I, I don't know. I got but nothing. Twin, but no one involved in Twin Peaks would have gone, you know what would make Twin Peaks better? Roseanne Barr and Tom Arnold. Oh, and oh, I'm sorry. I'm just looking at her house coat and I saw she has a doll pinned to it, a doll (laughs) head. I never noticed that before. This entire sequence is filled with the fucking nuttiest images. There is a smoking clown here wandering around with multiple dusty, deflated balloons that, I mean, are technically balloons because they have some air in them. But not nearly enough. And what what, it, what am I to gain from this? Why is he wearing red leather gloves? It, it's why? Why? <laughs> well, here in another one of those inconsistent moments, she, Roseanne, accosts Breckin Meyer and uh, uh, what is the blonde haired girl's name? Was he Tracy? Tracy. Tracy. Tracy, yes. Okay. I says, for, for, for one thing, she's treating them like they're children when they're all like 16, 17, 18 years old. And she's like, oh, I'll take you home with me. And, and then like Tom Arnold's like, no, you'll, you'll, you'll make him come or, or, or you know, you'll, you'll bring him back. And it's like, wait, so wait, they do know about Freddie then? Yeah. Cause yes. Because I, they, I thought that the whole thing with the parents is they, they're just in denial about it. But apparently without children, they're suddenly aware. Again, no one knows how Freddy works. And as a result, all we have retconned this entire franchise yet again in service of this wild fucking dime store costume aesthetic. And I don't get it how it, it elevates us. And no one, none of these actors... The, the youth actors know how to respond to Roseanne Barr. They just look at her like, why is Roseanne Barr touching me? Yeah. They're not in a scene. No, that's real. That's <laughs> real. They just rolled the camera. They all, they all look like they're, they honestly all look like they're about to start laughing. And, <laughs> and, and I don't know if the scene's supposed to be creepy or funny or creepy and funny. It doesn't really work at all in either of those ways for me it's just well that's roseanne being grotesque you know Mm -hmm. because that was a thing that she did for a while and and i just i'm still kind of just boggling over the purpose of this town and why no one can leave it and you can you know you know like hotel california you can enter it but you can't (laughs) leave why is why is freddie keeping them there is there ever a scene where he interacts with the parents i don't think there is is there no so, no. I mean, what, what, to what end is he keeping the parents trapped there? It's like he put a mystical spell on the town. Like he's a warlock. Yeah, it's like some, now it's like some like, fairy tale thing. <laughs> Pretty sure Freddy is a warlock in this as yeah. well. So. No, that would explain it. At least that would be an explanation. That's true. Uh, but instead, we get just dusty, 
bad costuming choices. <laughs> Everyone is wearing the grossest version of any kind of clothes you could possibly wear. Oh, all, everybody's disgusting, and every, everybody's just, you know... Like I said, they all look like John Waters characters. You expect very to see the dusty. egg lady show yes. up. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's a very dirty, dusty brown film. Yeah. Brown if green. Edith Massey just wandered into this fucking scene, oh. you'd be like, yeah, okay. That makes it's, sense. It would make more sense than Roseanne it's like, Barr. It's, it's like you're crossing like fucking Nightmare on Elm Street with Gummo. but again it's like yeah okay i guess this looks cool <laughs> you know, and, and, you know this, this is this is a different approach for the, the nightmare on elm street movies to take but you would which is true i i will agree but why though yeah i don't know so here's another thing that is well it struck me as odd but i know it's just inconsistent and that is the town bell rings but the bell tower that we see is the same clock tower from dream warriors so the last time we saw this just one movie ago it looked like castle dracul and also they say also they say it's the school bell ringing now yeah it's like no no that's not the school that that's that, that's the old hospital where they kept a thousand maniacs and a nun for a weekend. Uh, I don't. Mm. Well, I guess that's just what it looks like in two thousand one. <laughs> that's right. They, they finally many, cleaned it up. Many years have gone by here. So. <laughs> a lot of years have gone by. <laughs> uh, so as we stated before, uh, Lisa Zane says, "Hey, you three children who ran away." you're on your own recognizance to run back. And they're like, okay. And she's like, well, I have a mystery to solve. Come on, Scooby-Doo. <laughs> and they wander off. And then we are treated to this repeating motif of them driving at the ass end of colonial street on the fucking universal back lot. They, dr- uh, they drive past a statue of a child with a placard that says the children shall endure, which is a really weird thing to put up at a town where all the children have died. Yeah. It's, uh, doesn't make a lot of, it didn't really, really make a lot of sense before all the children died, but keeping it up after makes even less sense. But if it looks familiar to you, it's because that exact street was seen in Desperate Housewives and the Burbs and Animal House. And the house they eventually go to was straight out of Leave it to Beaver. So congrats, everyone. I know the universal backlot. Isn't that interesting? Um, And the fucking Goo Goo Dolls play again. One song is more than enough. You know what? I made the mistake that many people made in the early 90s, and I purchased a Goo Goo Dolls CD, and I'm sorry. Okay? You, you, you rang it out of me. I made a bad music choice, but I don't have to suffer for it for the rest of my life, and now you made me do it twice in one movie. <laughs> and I don't like this movie because of it. And a movie that Alice Cooper is in, who could have lent a hand had he not done a part six of another (laughs) franchise. And infinitely better. There's nothing better than seeing Alice Cooper sashay. And I am putting that in real quotes (laughs) underneath the Jason mask. Um, The constant backbiting banter between those three is 
neither dazzling nor funny nor oh, interesting. The, uh, these it's, characters, all they do, they they bicker. They bicker the whole time. And and it's not it's not it's not endearing. I don't learn more. No, they 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 clearly hate each other. Yeah, yeah, they don't. Why they like one ones. another? They're, you, they're got terrible Tracy, people. Tracy's the angry girl. She's she's really angry. And then you've got Brecken Meyer's character, who's kind of, who's like the stoner, where he he smokes weed, and everybody's acting like he's got a big old heroin needle sticking out of his arm. <laughs> well, every poster in their in their uh, their halfway home is about crack. Like later in the movie, later in the movie, he smokes a joint. And he passes out. <laughs> it's like, I mean, what kind of fucking lightweight is this guy? Yeah, well, um, he is like twelve. I'm gonna keep yeah. lowering his age, like the further we go into the movie. So yeah. maybe his oxygen improved after the. Next and and then you've got Carlos, who who he's, yeah, he's the not white guy. I just that's like, like that. That yeah. is his role in the movie. Yeah. I feel like he might be slightly more likable than the others. I don't know. Slightly. Probably because slightly. I probably got, got the, the, you know, he's got the, the disability advantage. Yeah, he's them. got, I mean, they, they were very, very, I think they were very, very proud. Of, I mean, although to be fair, Dream Warriors had the character in the wheelchair. That's true. Uh, but they were very proud to feature a, a, a disabled character. In, the, in, the, in this movie. Uh, but I think the reason for it is they saw Dream Warriors like we all did and said, let's just do that again. People like Dream Warriors. <laughs> but there's a reason why we like Dream Warriors. And I don't feel like we get a lot of that here. They just sort of repeat it. We're treated to a community theater rendition of Freddy's backstory <laughs> in this classroom <laughs> lesson. In which a groundling, I'm assuming, decides to put on a, a character seminar for us. Uh, oh yeah, there are a lot of characters in oh, this movie. This a is a lot yeah. of people. A lot of people doing something. This is straight up immersive theater to the point where I'm surprised that afterwards Lisa Zane didn't start clapping and say "Great," but she doesn't <laughs> have emotions. Oh, that wouldn't work. Like the reason Freddie kind of works is you don't know a lot about him. You know, it's the old adage of once you start explaining evil, it, it's not quite as scary. Okay. Mm. But if you want to go back to he's the son of a thousand maniacs, <laughs> I don't know that you have to explain him at all. But why does this film insist on positing the idea that Freddie's child was taken away and that was some sort of like yeah, don't give i don't want no tragic backstory don't, yeah. don't 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 give me that don't don't yeah. i don't he don't need to make a guy who killed 20 plus children sympathetic where we don't need that no one needs and that history shows that that never enhances a franchise you know as you learn in in uh halloween although i think that was i don't know i think the you learn that in halloween five about their whole like backstory with michael myers and that's kind of where everyone checked out and i think that's what happens here and yeah you don't he doesn't need a he doesn't need a backstory i don't want to um, be sad over him yeah uh the other thing that happens is this trio of of carlos and tracy and whoever breck and Meyer is playing they keep Travis. going around and round and round and round. Finally, they're like, we just got to stop for the night. So they wander into the leave it to beaver house. And then 
in a, in a sequence is that I, I think is meant to evoke a sort of Christine like transformation. <laughs> it, the miniature of it crumples and wigs out and explodes. And all of a sudden, Oh, it's 1428 Elm street. Okay. Regardless of whether or not the sequence is, is effective or is done well, neither of these three fucking kids know what 1428 Elm Street is. Right. I was just thinking, I was like, why do they have to you disguise the house? They don't know what it is. So it just like, why not have a happy version of 1428 and the door slam and it's the same decrepit thing we've seen for the last three fucking movies. They don't know the difference, everyone. There's no difference between this yellow house and 1428 Elm Street. So it's not a wah, they've been they've been fooled into walking into the mouse trap. And again, is that supposed to be like a weird dream thing that Freddy has control over? Or is it symbolic for the audience? Or is it an actual explosion transformation of a house that just happened? Yeah, they were I, how much in control of this actual town is he? Once you wander in, are you in Twilight? I don't. How does this movie work? How does Freddy work? We'll never find out. Not until you put on the 3D glasses. But that... <laughs> that will clear up everything. That will, that will solve the mystery. Yeah, I, I can't wait to do that. Um, I do have the old DVD with the 3D glasses. Oh, man. I, I might have to do that. I, I do own a copy of Parasite in 3D. And Amityville in 3D and Jaws 3 in 3D. <laughs> because I'm a glutton for punishment. Don't forget Friday the 13th. That I have in, in the red and green and it doesn't fucking work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work on my TV and it doesn't work when I project it. Yep, it's a disappointment. It's terrible. <laughs> um, so let's let's uh, round things out with talking about Carlos's death scene. He will be the one and only death in this entire uh, episode. Um, and here we once again, wander into the same issue that we had with dream warriors, which is Carlos has a tra- a tragic backstory that is not outlandish. It is not one built of privilege. He is an abused child whose parent apparently disciplined him by cleaning his ears excessively to the point in which he has lost hearing. That is genuinely disturbing. And I don't think it it belongs in the same movie. No. It absolutely does arrives not. in a fucking witch hat. Well, her, when, you've got, yeah. when you've got, like, and earlier in the movie, Tracy references, I feel like she's kind of referencing that her father might have molested her. Yes. And then you've yeah. got, you've got uh, Brecken Myers' dad, who seems to be emotionally abusive. And then you've got, you know, Freddie is a wacky bus driver. <laughs> it's just yes. like, you yeah, know, these things do not belong these together in the same movie. Very serious. And and this sequence is the longest kill sequence, I think, since maybe since the first movie. I mean, those those ones are kind of drawn out. Um, And and here we get this glaring continuity error, which which, again, I I question I question the the how much this was really directed. I need to hear it because I don't know this. And this is my favorite kill because I used to cry (laughs) when I was a kid. And I'll get to that. But it's well, I I have things to say about it, but this really kind of initially ruined it for me. So he cuts off 
Carlos's ear that it has that has the no no he flicks the the he flicks the hearing aid out of his ear is that what happens uh, yes yes and then Carlos scoops it up and puts it back in the other ear. That's not how hearing aids work. Yeah, oh. no, you have to put They're it in the ear you can't hear out of. Oh, They're I've not never interchangeable. That. I guess maybe it's, he's just so desperate he'll just try. Well, I mean, the movie isn't, doesn't seem to be quite sure if he's deaf in both ears, or because if he's deaf in both ears, then he would wear a well, hearing aid in both ears. When they introduce him, it's supposed to be implied that he is because he take. Well, actually, no, I think because he has, he takes it out of one ear. He, yeah, he yeah. definitely only has. He's definitely only wearing one. So he's deaf in one ear at least, and maybe mostly deaf in the other. Because when he takes it out and dangles it at Tracy, he cannot hear in that circumstance. So he very well could have hearing damage in both ears, but he only wears the hearing aid in his right ear, which means it is turned to that side of his face. You can't then flip it backwards and it still have it work and the other ear, that's not how hearing aids work. And this is very simply solved by him simply having Freddie cut the, the left ear instead of the right one and having him reinsert the hearing aid in his right ear. Maybe that's his dream power. <laughs> his, his hearing aids are reversible? From- sure. If this this movie is ADA compliant. We fixed it, everyone. It works. Dream power. Well, see the problem. The the whole thing with the sequence is it's a really it's a really interesting concept that, that unfortunately it it's inc- again they've got this this problem with inconsistency where he apparently he has turned up the sound the volume on on. I've never worn a hearing aid. I'm probably going to need one in about ten to twenty years. But um. Uh, I, I don't know how loud they can actually get, but apparently, you know, Freddie gives him supersonic, painfully accurate, he- acute hearing and starts tormenting him with water dripping. And then he drops needles. Now this is a pretty clever concept, except you've got right behind Carlos flames boiling and steam pipes going. And he can't hear that. Apparently that is a very good point. I've never noticed that, but you can hear the drip of water. No, I mean, I mean the the you know, the sound of steam coming out of pipes. If your hearing is so acute that you could hear a single pin drop, that would kill you dead right then and there. Oh shit! My thoughts on this scene are completely flipped now. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is great. This is great. I used to because I I don't know why I was a very I just cried at everything as a kid and I took horror movie deaths very seriously, which kind of signified that I probably shouldn't have been watching so much as a kid, but I would cry after this scene because I thought he was so innocent and didn't deserve it. And it was one of the most brutal deaths in the whole franchise. It is. And and again, it's it's a clever idea, but they don't, it doesn't stick the landing because they're not consistent with it. Right. It is very inconsistent. Oh, wow. And and you're, you're emotionally attached to him because his backstory is so dire and so terribly, terribly real. Well, and then you got Freddie where I think that they said, oh, this is going to be kind of cartoony and light. And he said, okay. And he ran with it. And I think because he's a dad in this one, he just pulls out all of his worst dad jokes in this entire (laughs) movie. And in this sequence in particular, Freddie's just a dick. He's not scary. He's just an old crotchety man just having fun now. 
Yeah. And it, it, it lends itself into torture. Yes. Where other films are like, they're trying to prey on your nightmares, but I don't think it, it, the nightmare part of it is the vision of his mom injuring his ear canal with this giant, long, you know, gross Q-tip that on, on a, on a massive splintery stick, yeah, that's pretty that, gross. that is a real nightmare. You're like, Oh my God, that's terrible. Yeah, that's and then gross. he sticks it all the way through his head. At that point, the scene should be over. And they're like, well, aren't we going to do some wacky shit where, where Freddie makes jokes and makes a magic trick out of a blackboard. Oh yeah. That he humps because he's that so he excited. Humps. That he, dry humps a blackboard because he's having so much fun this is it just does a disservice to everyone involved because it's confused it's all very confused Mm. um it's a bummer because i don't think it's doing things badly it just needs to decide which of these movies it wants to be and it decided it wants to be all of them well, at least he has his best worst dad joke that he ends on with uh, a <laughs> nice hearing from you, Carlos. <laughs> oh, oh, cringe. Cringe. Wowzers. <laughs> ungood. <laughs> it's ungood. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, that, that pretty much uh, does it uh, for this half. We'll be back with more uh, next time. Uh, but before we go... Alyssa, where can people find uh, more about you and what you're doing? Yes. Well, I am on the Twitterverse at uh, at underscore Alyssa Wagner. That's E-L-I-S-S-A because it's easy to misspell that. And uh, Instagram at Alyssa Wag. And uh, just quick little plug. Uh, I recently filmed a little Halloween short with the wonderful horror goddess Amalia and Brandon Scullion. Uh, they're starting a new horror channel on YouTube called The Midnight Company. So you can look that up and see that short. Give it a like and subscribe. And uh, also, if we were to answer uh, death, which death I would choose, there actually is another death. And that is, in the beginning, in the dream world, the woman who flies out of the airplane seat. Oh. That is who I would choose. And she's just like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) If I were to choose. She literally gives a, wow. She's in a Fruit Gushers commercial. And I was very excited that I would, that's, anyway, that was, that's where you can find me. Yeah, I'd have to go with that too, because every time I'm on a plane, I imagine that's going to happen to me at some point. It's I'm going to get, just a, a hole's going to open up, it's going to suck that, and I'll probably say something a little more intense, and whoa! <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, boy. Um, and so, Gina, um, what's happening with the lovely people at uh, patreon.com. Uh, we have one new patron. Um, Yusuf Al-Shamsi is on our $10 level. So thank you, Yusuf. Welcome aboard. Thank you, and, Yusuf. And if you want to uh, show our Patreon some love, we are at patreon.com slash kill by kill. Um, our last bonus episode was on The Blob. We had a lot of fun talking about that. It's always more fun when we talk about movies we actually enjoy. Um, <laughs> and then uh, our next movie uh, will be the um, what, what one of our uh, our patrons gets to choose it. 
So uh, we're not going to say what it is right now because it's generally a surprise. And if you want to know, give us some, some of your sweet, sweet cash. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's patreon.com slash kill by kill. Do it today, people. Check it out. Uh, we received some uh, more uh, reviews lately. We read those in the last episode. But we can always use more. That's how people find us. So please review us wherever you get podcasts. If it has a review function, please uh, give us a, a nice review. We'd greatly appreciate it. If you're an Apple podcast user, that's even more valuable because they use that in their rankings. So we would enjoy that very much. Uh, Gina, where can people find you on these here internets? I have my own website in which I write about movies and uh, old TV and pop culture at GinaRadcliffe.com. And I am also a writer at thespool.net. And uh, you can find me on Twitter under Porcelain72. Do it today, people. Check it out. Find us on Twitter at KillByKillPod, on Instagram at KillByKillPodcast. We have the Facebook group and page uh, for you to get more into those discussions. If you so desire, you can talk about anything horror related there. It's If you're finding your uh, horror Facebook group lacking, come make ours better. We'd love for that to happen. And so that just about does it for now. Come join us in a couple of weeks when we close the book on Freddy Krueger and never have to speak of him ever again. Because as the title insists, Freddy will be dead. That's correct. It's right, the Gina? Fi- the final nightmare. It's final. the very final one. There will as, never as, be another. As final as, as Friday the 13th Part 4 was the final chapter. What? <laughs> Uh-oh. They wouldn't lie to well. us, would they? No, they would never just continue the the uh, the film franchise. Just keep right on going. <laughs> just mow through it and decide to make it into something else, uh, something that's certainly interesting. And we'll talk about that eventually, I'm sure. Uh, but until then, for myself and for Lisa and for Gina, bye bye, everybody. Kill by Kill is produced by We Write Good and is intended for entertainment purposes only. A Nightmare on Elm Street is owned by New Line Cinema. No infringement is intended. Kill by Kill's logos were created by Josh Hollis. Visit him at joshhollis.com. The Kill by Kill theme was created exclusively for us by Revenge Body. Get the whole track and much, much more at revengebodymemphis.bandcamp.com today.